Lillen Session. This is Patrick Lillis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Hope everyone's all right. Um, getting through the winter. It's starting to be February. And, uh, you know, days are getting longer, though we don't really notice that, I think, because it's cold. Um, at least it's cold where I am. I know. It's very funny. I feel like the audience is spread out. I hope everybody is somewhere warm and nice. But uh, right now, it's a little cold, and it's... Uh, you know, getting tired of being stuck inside with COVID, you know, being stuck in the routine and harder. I'm going for the walk every day, but it's harder to do because it's not as enjoyable, certainly not as social when it's in the single digits of temperature. But um, it's funny, that reminds me of, uh, you know, I I planned this ahead of time, a solo show, a lot of you know, um, on suicide awareness and, uh, you know, tried to schedule the show in February. I'm doing it twice. I'm doing 20 minutes of it on February 11th, Adina Taubman uh, is putting together a benefit for this group, MDSG, which is Mood Disorder Support Group in New York. And um, she's doing 20 minutes of her show, and I'm doing 20 minutes of mine. And then four other people are doing original five minutes work. It's going to be an hour long evening and then a talk back. Uh, February 11th, it'll be, I'll post it on social media and information, and certainly check out the try to put something on the farm's website. It's great. Uh, My friend Neil Tyrone Pritchard is going to do five minutes, and student from Shenandoah, Kennedy Rowland, is going to do five minutes, and uh, uh, Hope is doing a clown. There's a clown section, which I'm excited about, and it's all going to be on Zoom, so you can all be there if you uh, can. And Dina's husband, Michael, is going to talk about five minutes, and it's great. And I'm really happy that we're doing it, because I think after being shut in for what is now coming on 11 months and these colder days, I, I think it's good. Not only do we always need to talk about mental health, but I'm glad that Adina put this together, because uh, I think it's a conversation we need to be having right now. I think we're all going a little stir-crazy. And then I'm going to do the show again uh, February 25th. I'll talk about that probably next episode, but with the Valdez Theater Conferences sponsoring an evening of the whole show. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But I feel like we're getting so close. I, you know, I hope some of you have gotten a vaccine. I hope you're making appointments. I know that we're not all, it's not available to all of us yet, but it gives me hope, you know, and we all just got to stay healthy until we can get vaccinated and back to normal. But it's feeling, um, it's feeling close. And one thing I think I talked about this last time is, uh, last episode is it's getting like my calendar is full, you know, not only, you know, doing the benefit with Adina, and then on the 17th of February, uh, our college collab partnership is happening with Center College. You should check it out. They are doing incredible work on the play, Leah Romeo's play, Greek Tragedy, which is about curating a life on social media, which was picked before the shutdown. And now I have to say with all of us being online and all the time. It seems uh, more than appropriate and timely. Um, But what they're doing, what Center's doing with their online production using the software OBS is really impressive. So again, that will be on the website and social media. And if you can check it out, do. I I love partnering with Center College. And, you know, I'm glad that's happening. I'm glad there's, you know, a bunch of projects are going on. And, oh, today's episode, uh, actor Porva Betty, she's great. It's a great conversation. And one of the things that triggered in my head was she has stayed incredibly busy this entire time. I keep seeing her and we talk about that. You know, she started writing something and that got done and and, uh, she's in all kinds of readings and workshops. And and I met her almost a year ago, uh, worked on 
Dipti's play, Dipti Brahmankar's play that we did in the Barn series for Labyrinth last year, and she's just an incredible actor, and you'll get to hear, you know, not only how she's staying busy, but her journey of building a career, and it's um, it's a great conversation. I'm excited to share it with you, and I love that we had a lot of similarities in the beginning and obvious distinct differences, um, and I like hearing about her commitment to, you know, organizations that helped her out and, and provide what you know, she's board member of Target Margin. You'll hear that story of how that came about. And so it's just, it's a great conversation and excited for you to hear it. And mostly I'm, I'm you know, I just want to say everybody to stay healthy, stay, do whatever you need to do emotionally, mentally, physically to, to keep going. Cause it's, I feel like we're all getting busy, but we're all getting busy online. And I want it to, you know, I want us to keep doing what we need to do to care for ourselves so that we can come out on the other side and be together. And um, and I know I'm feeling a little restless, so I don't know if other people are feeling that way. But one thing that is great is the conversation I had with Porva. So I'll let you listen to that now. And with that, play ball. Yes and yes, but it's been such a challenge and, and really my biggest challenge is I'm a mom to, uh, well, now he's 19 months old and an eight and a half year old. So I have two kids. And as you know, with the pandemic, all the normal things that parents have, like babysitters and school, <laughs> is just out the window. So, for example, you know, my daughter's school took a three-week vacation for winter break, you know, for smart pandemic reasons, but... It just means we can't, we're not going anywhere because of the pandemic. So it's like, oh, now how do I entertain my children for three weeks with no school? <laughs> um, so it's been very challenging. And, you know, you can't really get babysitters or maybe if you, if you have a pod, if you've potted with one, but we've never been like, we've never had a nanny. We, we're not really, you know, regular babysitter people. We just use occasional babysitting. So that's been really challenging and yeah, it's got to be challenged too. Yeah, because even if you're working, you, you know, you're not leaving either. So you, there's no break, even if you are, even if you find a window where. Yeah. And when I'm doing, you know, I do get, I am staying busy, but honestly, even if I get an audition, it's like, you know, a self, which is all self tapes now, of course. Um, the other day, I had this self tape and I was like, oh, it's great. My son is in daycare. But then, of course, his daycare called and said, we had a staff exposure. We're shutting down our center for two weeks. Please pick up your child ASAP. And I was like, oh my God, we have to do the self-tape and pick up our child. So we picked him up and then I tried to give him a nap, but because his day was so disrupted, he like screamed for two hours. And I was like, how can we do this self-tape? Because every time we played back the recording, you could hear this poor baby trying to nap in the next room. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to book a job with that. <laughs> No, not unless it's a torture scene. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. It was like, you know, a comedy. <laughs> um, so, you know, we figured out, we're just like, well, let him try to get him to nap for 30 minutes. And we actually ran away from our children. I abandoned my children for 30 minutes. We ran down to the basement of our building and like found a space to record. But these kinds of things that, you know, even the opportunity to audition, to interview for our job is like, it's just like, how will I do? Everything is like a real problem that I need to solve. Now, on the sometimes I just want to just be like, oh my God, it's too much work and I'm so tired. 
but the thing is, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I am engaged in what I do and I am interested in it. And um, so I can't help myself. I can't help myself from figuring out like, how do we do this? And you know, it's, it's, it's now, it's shifted from being just about the acting to me. Like I think with Trump and BLM and just everything now it, I'm really much more focused on what do I care about? What's important to me? And I'm actually producing just a fun celebratory little video right now um, with South Asian women um, about uh, celebrating, you know, our new vice president, basically. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, such a big deal that we have some a, a South Asian and black vice president she, and a she, woman, she all of it. It's just so wonderful. Um, and you were doing you were doing a, a, a South Asian voting activism. I don't know what it was called. I just saw it on yeah, South Asians for Biden. Yeah. I you know just I mean you know I haven't before before 2016. I didn't feel this like if I don't do something, it's on me. I didn't feel that responsibility. You know, um, I felt like the machine the work the, the wheels were turning, and you know. But now it's just like. I was like, if Trump wins again, like it is on, I'll, I'll feel like, what could I have done different? <laughs> so I was like, I gotta do what I can do. And I did feel that as a South Asian actor, as, um, you know, that I, I could sort of help make my voice heard in this very specific community. Um, and so I was like, I'll do what I can do, you know? And they reached out to me and it just seemed like a great idea to support that, so. Yeah, and with the who's well, you said you're producing with the the celebration video or yeah, that, um, are you is was is it your idea? Is it a group? Who? What is? Yeah, that? it's a group. It's basically uh, a, an actress who also is a writer wrote an essay. Um, it, I think it's called "The Dance and the Roar on the Day That Kamala Won." or became vice president. I, I can't believe I'm like, is that the title? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and she reached out to me and shared the piece with me and it really resonated because uh, it is about a South Asian woman's journey of healing and celebration. Um, and so we kind of put our heads together. We reached out to Dorset Theater Festival, Dina Janice there who, you know, I adore. Um, and I thought this would be right up her alley. And um, we also reached out to Valerie Kaur, uh, who is an activist um, and do, and she's doing the people's inauguration, kind of a promise from the people, um, which will be a day after the inauguration. So we have a bunch of um, collaborators and other producers that we got to join our teams, all South Asian women, all, even our editor, our editor, our producers, all of the performers, um, our South Asian or, or, or mixed, you know, mixed South Asian are coming together to make this. So we just built a really beautiful team and then you'll hopefully see it in a week. We're working on a very tight deadline. What's your deadline? I mean, it's just a few days because the inauguration, yeah. you know, well, you know, or the 21st, the day after. Well, this, this, will, <laughs> this will drop after that and I will have seen it. That's excellent excellent <laughs> that is great and i will then tell everybody that they should have seen it and how they can see it yeah good it's amazing good. that's great it's great um 
it's interesting. I know that I wanted to ask about that too, because not only are you getting involved in producing your voice, is that what motivated you to start writing? I know that you're also writing. I, when you said Dina, uh, Janice at Dorset, I know that you were supported and, and developed and presented up there during this pandemic. You did a live piece, which is amazing. That's um, right. Yeah. I mean, so I wrote a play about my mother and, you know, my mom passed away at the really at the beginning of the pandemic on March 20th. Uh, and I think, you know, we think that it was COVID related, um, but we unfortunately they wouldn't allow her to get tested because that was a time when the testing protocols were really specific about, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just so funny when there's like a new disease, right? A new virus is that, you know, you had to have come from China. She had to have traveled to China and she had traveled to India. So anyway, point being, it's just, it's just it was really tragic and horrible, of course, but it was also like the timing was so bad because right at the beginning, they didn't know the things that they know now, you know, yeah. they certainly weren't, um, you know, they certainly, you know, rushed to intubate even when she was, you know, her numbers were showing that like the oxygen, you know, that she wasn't getting a lot, but she was able to like converse and talk and she didn't want, she didn't want to be intubated, but then it was sort of like one of those, one of those things where she was, and then that was kind of it for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. So I wrote a play about her and it's a play that um, is both a story about what happened, but also a real, a story about her life 50 years ago and about diseases and and about women and about my family and it sort of goes generations back and there's like a bunch of scenes that happened 50 years ago so it's like a yeah yeah I should share it with you mm-hmm. I mean so the thing is that you know I haven't written very much I mean as in in my life I haven't I have I've been focused more on the performing and less on the writing and so And so I don't have, so I'm not a confident writer. So I wrote a whole play and I had this amazing reading that was this like wonderful healing night on Zoom, of course. And, and I then came back to New York City because I was away for a while during the pandemic. And I got so, I got so taken over by life and schooling and my kids that I haven't had the, the silence, the solitude and the focus to work on the rewrite. And that's what I really need to do. But it's like painful because it's about my mom. So it's like, it's not like it doesn't feel fun right now. So I've just been putting it off until I'm ready. So I would say, yeah, and that time will reveal itself to you uh, because it, yeah, sounds important. And and not something you can do casually when you're tucking down to a basement to self-tape. I was able to write the play like that. I mean, I wrote the play under total duress, like five minutes here, five minutes there, same kids, same pandemic. But somehow the creative spark of making it comes much more naturally to me than the sort of discipline and focus of crafting and rewriting. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Very funny. I just rewrote something. I got notes from somebody who was commissioned to write something, wrote it and the rewrite. And I, I have a, it's a totally different, uh, visceral experience to rewriting. And I, I find it that I'm very logical and practical when I go back to rewrite, as opposed to when I'm first draft and I'm very emotional. <laughs> like, and- that exactly. That's right. I'm right there with you. And that's why I was writing that play about my mother as a form of therapy, because I was like, there's a pandemic and my mother is 
well, she was actually still in the hospital when I started writing it, you know? So it was like coping. I couldn't, I had no time to cope. And that was how I coped was through writing. So I agree with you that that was the emotional part. And I, I think that with writing, there's a little bit more distance. I mean, sorry, with rewriting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little more distance and I, I ha- I'm just not there yet. Yeah. And I think that's what I, yeah. When I said, oh, it'll reveal itself. It's also like not only the process, it's just being able to look at it and be, you have to be emotionally in removed and connected to what you're saying, but thinking mm-hmm. technically, how am I going to do that? And sometimes you don't want to, I think if a piece is very personal, you may not want to think technically. That's a whole different thing to put, to say, let me be an arm's distance from something I love, you know, it's a different tool. Yeah. And also like, you know, I talked to actually Che Yu was really helpful. He read a draft of it and gave me a lot of feedback and he was like, do you want it? like tell the real story on stage or do you want to like make a really compelling play because because you know it's my mother right so you sort of I you know I just lost my mother like I'm gonna hold her in a lot of like warm loving light and write about her with a lot of love but then to write things about her that might be difficult to write to that don't maybe cast her in a positive way or um you know Che was like well what was the cost of this life to her? What was the cost of like being a writer? You know, what did she give up? What, you know, what didn't she give you? You know, the, the asking those really hard questions and I'm like, ah, do I want to put that in my play? Uh, do I really want to explore that at this point? I don't know. <laughs> I'm writing a tribute, you know. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, it's an honorary tribute to my mother. This is like her, the obituary she didn't get in the New York Times. <laughs> um. But which is great because you can decide, am I writing a play or am I writing a celebratory thing? And, it, and, you know, and I think they are each valuable and different. I, I know that, you you know, mainly because you were doing the play and I read a little bit about that your mom was a writer and sounds extraordinary. I'm now going to ask about you, though, and say, did at what point did you want to become, did you want to start acting? When did that happen? And I know you grew up here, right? You grew up in New York? Yeah, I was born in India and I lived in Belgium for four years as a kid. But then at the age of five, I grew up in New York. We came here when I was five. So, you know, I always loved acting. Even starting at the age of five, it was always a passion, but I always had other passions too. It wasn't like it's, you know, just acting. I loved writing, performing. I loved school. God, I was such a nerd, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... When I was older, like older as in when I was in college and I really wanted to focus on acting, I was discouraged from doing so. I, I think my dad, whose mother was an actress, uh. <laughs> of course, was like, uh, yeah, you really want to do that because it's kind of a hard life because he knew it firsthand. He knew how hard it was. <laughs> um And so I actually, I was, I did a very sensible double major in theater and economics so that I still was able to pursue my passion. But then I was like, oh, I can get a good, you know, temp job or more, you know, and I, and I actually did do more. I was a consultant and a management consultant for about a year and a half. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to start acting full time. This is what I want to do. I'm in my early twenties this is a good time to do it. And then I, if it's, if I hate it, if it's the wrong move, I felt like I could change my mind because I had, you know, gotten a nice BA from a good college. But once I started acting, I never turned back. Nice. Yeah. And 
when you made the decision, I'm curious about that. And I know it's a little while ago, but that making that decision is what, what, what does that mean to let go of something else? When you said, oh, I'm going to go for this. What's the, what are you letting go of? And is it permanent? Is it a full-time consulting? And you say, I'm going to go and audition. I'm going to go and do, and what allows that to happen? At the moment that I made that choice, it was really about what's going to make what's going to make the world a better place coming from my, like, how will I make the world a better place? And I actually didn't feel that as a management consultant or banker, I was actually, because I'd also was in banking before that. I was like, I'm not actually contributing to the world because my heart is not in it. And my heart, I just felt like pursuing my passions was really important. And that I, what I was giving up was stability, security, and I felt ready to do that. I felt like I had a plan. I knew that the first few years of acting are really rough. And so I was like, I'm going to save my money and live with my parents so that when I'm an actor, I don't need to like wait tables immediately. I'll have some of this money to live off of and I'll be able to just focus totally on, you know, auditions and really pounding the pavement and reading my backstage, taking, you know, I think my first play was, um, I think I played like these two tiny little parts in Winter's Tale at the Gallery Players in Brooklyn. <laughs> I've directed as a Gallery Player. <laughs> of course <laughs> you have. <laughs> it's the second place I directed in New York, and then I did four plays with them. And I also worked teeny tiny parts at the beginning with Target Margin Theater. And of course, I have a, a long history with them now because I've done a bunch of shows with them. And, and then this year I started, I, I'm on the board of directors now. So now I'm, I'm like the boss <laughs> well, I from being a spear carrier to a boss. <laughs> that's, which is pretty, I want to ask about that too. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to lose track of the, the early part, but sorry, boss, sorry. now I'm going to stay there. Boss, I'm becoming a board member because I, I read about that and I thought, oh, I'd love to hear. And it's perfect. That was actually one of the things I was thinking about today is, you know, I'm thinking about early career artists and what it is to to make these choices. And I thought, what does it mean to you to make that commitment to the board? Because it's different, right? It's one thing to make the commitment to you early on. Oh, this is what makes me feel like I'm giving value to the world. And now after doing it for so long, you know, and you've gone from spear carrier to board, <laughs> what does that commitment mean to you? When they, because they had to ask, I imagine, do you want to be on the board? And you said, yeah, I'm invested in you. Yeah, I think that it, goes back to what I was saying before, where I'm less interested in just acting for acting's sake. It's really become, what am I spending my time doing? Is it meaningful? Is it important? What is the purpose? And Target Margin Theater, I felt like from the beginning, had a really beautiful mission. And, a, and you know, 25 years ago, before, you know, before it was fashionable, it had a really... Uh, strong mission to cast actors non-traditionally to have so much and I mean gender uh I mean obviously you know the color of one's skin um but in all ways you know age and you know they were doing that when it was when nobody else was doing that and they made me feel at the age of like 21 South Asian woman you know trying to be an actor you know not black, not white, not really seeing any place for myself on the off-Broadway stages, they made me feel like there's work for me here. You know, 
And so I think that they have continued that work and deepened it. Um, and now, you know, it's, they've really focused on giving the community of artists a platform, a chance to stretch themselves. I mean, Target Margin is like known for giving people who are like, I want to try this and I've never done this before that opportunity, whether it's arts management, whether it's sound design, whether it's, um, what, what, you know, whatever it is. And that, I think that, um, sort of opportunity, it's like gallery players, like, you know, how you and I both got our first opportunities there, but it's that, you know, you don't have to always have proven yourself already. Like, how are you ever going to get anywhere if you don't get those opportunities? And that's been really wonderful. So, so, you know, you know, they have these things called the lab where like anyone who, who, any artist, you know, who, who has a great project, can present it to them and have the opportunity to get it produced. I mean, I'm, you know, that's not exactly how the process works, but. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, yeah, it never seems that simple, but it is that opportunity still there. And so funny, I'm hesitating. I want to say the gallery players, um, Dominic Cuskern saw a play I directed for the drama league. I was like one of their directors and we interviewed and it was, I would just say that I was so young and so confident and bold. They, offered, they wanted to interview me to direct Importance of Being Earnest, which I had no feeling for. And I said, I want to do Romeo and Juliet. And I sold it on them. And the next, and, and they were like, all right, well, we're going to do that. We haven't, we're going to do it next year. We'll do it. And, you know, it was so great because. That's amazing. And I was, you know, so it's like when you said about target margin, it's, it was, they let me do this. You know, I hadn't directed a Shakespeare before. I just was sort of on fire about the play at the moment. And, uh, and so I, yes, those places are so important. And I didn't, you know, would, didn't have the confidence, you know, it's not like it's, it was safe to do there too. It was safe to say that to them. Just something you had said, and I don't want to get the wording wrong, but being South Asian and not seeing other representation in people is what, was there any, I mean, it just sounds so silly to say, was there any representation, but was there any representation 20? Very little. It was like a handful of actors and we were all, we all knew each other. We were friends with each other because there were so few of us working and there were so few opportunities and we all saw each other at the few auditions. And also, you know, I wasn't like a big musical theater girl. So the whole like Broadway musical thing wasn't even something I was trying for, right? I was an I was really like an off-Broadway actor, <laughs> you know, um, wanting to do plays, new plays, classics, anything. And it felt like classics is the only place where directors were maybe like, oh, maybe we could go like non-traditional and get like a brown person in this role. But as for um, new plays, I didn't see, I saw very little South Asian women in them. And if anything, it was just like, oh, well, maybe you could just play like, we don't know what you are. I'm like, cool, thanks. That's, that's, that's very, mid, very mid 90s, very mid 90s colorblind casting. We just won't define it. We just won't. Yes, no, it. That was it. It was the mid 90s. <laughs> but the thing is, though, to become a better actor, to become better at anything, you need practice, you need opportunity. And so with Target Margin, at least I got to be in a bunch of shows. And I was in other shows too. It's not like I was only working with Target Margin, but they were the only ones that kept calling me back that I that I can say that over the course of like 25 years, I was in, you know, a dozen, let's say, Target Margin shows. Whereas I can't say that about any other company, 
right? That there wasn't this sort of like, let's keep using these same actors that we love. I wasn't in those companies. Those companies weren't interested in me, <laughs> right? Nice. Then after, after having like a place that I can keep going to to work, in addition to the other gigs I was getting, then 25 years later, I'm a better actor. Then when Playwrights Horizons or New York Theater Workshop, it's like, we want to make um, some plays with South Asian actors. I'm here and I'm ready. And I'm not like I've never been in, it's not like I've never been in a play before. Like I've actually been working, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, before five years ago, I don't know how many of those off-Broadway theaters were casting South Asian actors in plays. Um yeah, not enough. Not to say bad things about them. I love. No, no, no we're not because <laughs> it's reality, and it's reality that's happening. Hopefully, right now it's in the middle of changing, um, and and was in the process of changing. I mean, as you said, in the last five years, um, it's very funny. I asked Alia, who you did uh, feet in the forest with. Um, I told her I was interviewing you, and I said, "What should I ask?" And her, her question was, she wanted to know if you thought that the change for more work for South Asian actors was going to be, would there be a lot immediately in the change or do you think it's gonna be continue to be a slow process? And I thought that's somebody who's looking for work in the future. <laughs> you know, it's a good question. I mean, I hope it's rapid. I mean, I do think that suddenly with this horrible president, <laughs> sorry, am I allowed to say that? Um, you can say it, it to me. It, it made us, all, especially in the theater community say, well, you know, what side of history do we want to be on? What kind of plays do we want to be making? Who do we want to be allied with? You know, and then um, with the, we see you, what, am I saying it correctly? Yeah. That yeah. theater, you know, that the, they really pointed out a lot of systemic racism within theater and I don't know, but if people are listening, then I think there should be a sea of change. Of course, there's pandemic to contend with and there's theater at all happening to contend with. But I mean, certainly like at least, you know, target margin. And as I was saying, I think they've been already doing this for 25 years. But one of the reasons, you know, I'm on the board now is because I think they recognize that they needed more artists on their board and more artists of color on their board, you know because when I joined a couple of other people joined too, like Greg Sargent, like Melody Cooper. I'm like, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you don't have to name all the new board members. It's okay. <laughs> no, <I'm> like, <laughs> you know, um, other actors of color. So I think that, um, they are taking, they're really trying to, to take in, um, a lot of what was written, um, in that movement, in those in those sort of Instagram posts, and and I think that's great. Yeah, you know that that they're actively listening and trying yeah, and, act, and actively changing. I'm a big. Uh, I'm I'm hearing Nicole Brewer is on with somebody I interviewed at the Southeast Theater Conference, and she's an anti-racist theater activist, artivist. I think would be a better word. But one of the things she said that really resonated with me was not just listening and talking, but about results. And I think like when you say it about Target Margin, they're not only listening, they're responding and acting, you know, they're doing it, you know, cause it's one thing to say, oh, cause you know, not to get in the political spiral, but I don't, I don't really want to listen anymore. I want to change, you know, <laughs> I want accountability and I want 
change. And taking steps, like saying, okay, let's get some other people on our board. Yeah, just great. Voices, you know, that's not the, I mean, I, they weren't all white board, but, you know, for example. At what point did you know, oh, I don't have to go back to consulting. I don't have to go back to banking. Like, when did that, do you know what shifted for you or what, if, if any, may not have been one thing, but was there an event or something that where you said, oh, I feel I'm going to keep doing this. I can keep doing this. I think I was so happy to get out of banking and consulting that I wasn't going to turn back. I did have like survival jobs and things, but the thing with something like acting is, and this isn't a good thing about acting. This can actually make things really hard is that you can kind of find ways to stay busy as an actor and depending on how you choose to measure success, you can keep getting positive reinforcement. Maybe that's not a good generalization, but in my life, in my career, I was finding that I was booking work. Now, it wasn't always like high paying work and it wasn't always like super prestigious work, but I was working. And so I was continually getting some kind of positive reinforcement for it. Even when I was also like temping and making money other ways, um, you know, I would be in a cool play or a reading with people that I was really excited about. So for me, I just constantly was getting enough out of it, even though there were certainly many points of frustration, but I was constantly getting enough out of it that I kept wanting to stay in it. I definitely thought about leaving many, many, many times, all the time, all the time, you know, still. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'm constantly about to leave, but then it'll be like, oh, but Porva, can you do this? Or but Porva, there's this one audition and you know what I mean? And then I just keep getting sucked back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. They, you know, that's right. You can't get, you can't get out. It keeps, it, it keeps uh, giving you and the then, you know, even producing this thing, right? For Mira, I'm like, oh, let me just produce this thing. And sure, I'll act in it too. I mean, you know, <laughs> for performance. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. And I'll act in it because that's not hard, you know, <laughs> produce it. I uh, No, it's interesting about that. I was going to ask what's the negative part about that? Because I think I think when you say that it's, it's something about staying busy and the and getting affirmation, I'm curious. I'm going to ask you what's the negative part of that? And the negative is that you stay in it when you should really get the hell out. <laughs> But the thing is that I have many friends over the years who've gotten the hell out, you know, and every, and whenever, and the close friends, whenever I've talked to them about it, I've always, you know, when you're a really open friend, you are like, huh, could that be me? I've never, I've never been ready to leave. I've been like, oh yeah, you're right. Like it is crappy and it doesn't reward you for all of these things that you're good at. And yeah, like it's so competitive and yeah, who cares if you have an MFA that you get no respect for your MFA, like things like that. Right. Like I agreed with all the reasons they were leaving, but it was never a reason for me to leave. Nice. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it was one of the things, because when you were, when you were saying it, what registered in my head is there's this comfortability of staying, of, of not pursuing, a, not pursuing it as actively as a career to make a living because you're fed with affirmation, people liking you, staying and doing workshops and staying engaged enough that you're like, well, I'm doing my art. And that's almost, that's where I start to think like, oh, there's some negativity if you don't pull back and focus and say, okay, I'm doing my art, but how do I take my art to be my profession? You know, and how do I shift that? Because 
<laughs> that's the only reason I think about getting out because I don't want to do anything else to make money except theater <laughs> or art. I would take it in any form. Yeah, I think I think that I, I did in my 20s do some other stuff in my early 30s, but then I kind of taught myself to live pretty simply, to not have an expensive lifestyle so that I could just kind of act. Certainly I collected unemployment when I could, um, as I am now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, it, it is, it was a living simply thing. And now, I mean, now I have two kids and a spouse who is also, a, he's a writer, artist. And so we kind of live this interesting, like on the one hand, we have kids and they have got a lot of bills to pay. On the other hand, we both are still pursuing our art and sort of figured out how to do it. So I mean, yeah, we, and we've sold our soul to the devil. No, <laughs> no, I think it's, I think when you said figure out how to do it is that is, you know, it's funny after a bunch of, uh, after a time, we do figure out how to get these jobs and how to keep things going at a certain level and knowing that like, oh, I'm going to go do this workshop and then I have to go do this other thing that. Yeah. Or voiceovers or commercials or, you know, Book, recorded books, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Or for me, it would just be, you know, TV gigs, just guess a couple guest stars a year, you know, would really sort of help with the health insurance and the everything. Curious how that, when you say, it's funny, it can just be being around. How does those opportunities change to getting to the next, to getting into the TV, getting into the audition room of the off-Broadway theater the five years ago, like what's the shift or is it just subtle and all of a sudden been doing this work, this work, this work, and then all of a sudden you're in this different room. How does that shift happen? Do you think, or how did it happen for you? It really is building a track record. And I mean, relationships are a huge part of it. You know, I mean, I always was like, Oh, I wish I was one of those kids who's like, parents were as like, you know, in the industry and they could just sort of, you know, launch me. <laughs> Not that those people actually have it any easier, but, um, but, you know, a lot of it in the beginning was like, just keep showing up and just work wherever I can. And I remember someone saying to me, like, just always be you, just always be you and you'll be fine. Like be who you are. And I think that's actually great advice because just, and what I mean by that is like, be yourself, ally with the people you connect with. Don't worry about the people you don't connect with because it's the people you do connect with who will call you to work again, who you will call to work with again, who 20 years later will ask you to be on their board, you know? <laughs> and so, and so, I mean, a lot of, you know, I had this great little off-Broadway run in the past two years, right? Most of those jobs I didn't audition for. Almost all of them. Almost all of them I had either workshopped or I'd worked with a playwright before or I'd worked with, um, yeah, that, that was most, mostly either I'd worked with a playwright or I'd like workshopped and it had gotten to know me. And either we connected or we didn't. I mean, I'd certainly workshopped many plays that I haven't been a part of. 
Well, not every play you workshop goes on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like Ordinary Muslim at New York Theater Workshop, I was asked to do a reading of that seven years before it was produced, you know? And I didn't know, so it took that many years to get it produced. Like I was just doing a workshop, right? But like, can we all connected, you know? And, you know, you show up, you do your work. And so for me, it's a lot about uh, relationships and, and connecting with the people that I connect with and, and not pushing things like there's chemistry with people and just trust it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it's also big not to worry about where there isn't chemistry because, you know, it's fine. Yeah. You don't really need to work with those people and it'll, it won't be fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, how do you get invited into the workshop? Not the reading, not the theater company, um, but not the, not a reading of a play, not a one day commitment, but when somebody's doing like a week long or two weeks to find out what the play is, you know, and they're investing in the play. I just think those things are great to do for the reason of, you know, if the play moves on, you move on with it, but also it's a, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's not a huge financial reward, but it is a artistic investment in the ensemble and the direction. investment, right? They watch, they, you work with this team for a whole week and they get to see you be an actor in a room. They get to see, you know, how you work and who you are and what kind of person you are. And that's what I mean when I say like relationships and either you connect or you don't connect. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so for me, yeah, I think those are way more like valuable in terms of like figuring out if you as an artist want to work with these people. Um, but even the one day things are great too, frankly. Um, I mean, I had an experience with a director where I'd auditioned for them like once or twice, but auditions are such funny things. Like you walk in, you do it. Maybe you get an adjustment, you do it again, five minutes later, eight minutes later, you're out. And then this person directed one of the readings of this play. Um, it was a workshop reading. But boom, then final, then, then, this, then she saw how I worked and she got to know who I was, not just in a 10 minute audition, which is such a weird way to meet someone, right? It's like a job interview and you're like performing for them and like, you know, and just in meeting me for a few hours, then like the offer came, right? It was like, she just needed to like spend a few hours, like seeing me work. Yeah. And, and I think those are invalid. I think those, the chances to work with someone are way more valuable than the chance to audition for them. Of course, obviously. Of course, yeah, of course. But at the same time, chances, like you said, I auditioned for them twice by the time. So when you come in to work with them on a workshop, they've seen you a couple of times and now they're grateful to get to know you because you're, you know, probably never going to have to go into an audition room or I don't want to exaggerate that with that person again, because they have such a relationship with you. They're now that they've worked with you, they're going to think of you differently. But the but there is some accumulation to auditioning. I don't want to say like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. there's not that there's no value to auditioning. It's something about showing up that proves like, oh, that person's good. Showing up, it's the track record. It's the taking the workshops, taking the work. I mean, honestly, I was for, I mean, it's still in there, but I definitely was one of those actors who like doesn't say no to stuff. Who was like, yep, 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 yep. And like overscheduled, overcommitted, doing like a production, overlapping on a production, just saying yes to everything. But, you know, hopefully I built some goodwill. Hopefully people got to know me. Hopefully people got to see my work. And then that sort of led work, work leads to work. That was kind of what I learned early on. And it sort of 
And maybe that's why when you say to me, it seems like you're still busy during the pandemic. I'm like, that's just how, that's the only way I know to be. (laughs) That's good. You know, for me, I want to say me too. I'm like, when you were saying that, I went, I went, we're still in a pandemic. Something happened for at the middle of November for me where I went, oh, all of a sudden my schedule, even though it's at the laptop, (laughs) just as busy as it was, as it's been pre-pandemic. I know, but it's so frustrating because you're not in the room with people. It's so painful to me. Yeah. Physically painful to like not be in rehearsal rooms with people, not, you know, run across the street and getting a salad at our lunch break, whatever, you know, I really miss that. No, that's what I miss. I miss, uh, I I miss the, I I call it the virtual lobby, but I miss the socializing. Like, you know, it's funny, like when you're done, you rehearsal, everybody hits the button and the screen goes away. And like, and I, you know, theater people are notoriously famous for saying like goodbye eight times. But, you know, when you're on Zoom, there's there's one goodbye, you know, push the button and you're back alone in your apartment. I think I still say goodbye like six times because, you know, but yeah, you're, yeah, it's, we're like, and also like, because I've done a bunch of like Zoom rehearsals and things that in real rehearsal, you can kind of turn to the person next to you and be like, oh, was that lame what I just said? Or, oh, wait, how do you do this? You know, you can sort of just have these little side side conversations. You're on a five minute break, whatever. But there's a comfort that comes from being in that space together, which I sometimes find it so formal on these Zooms because we don't have any of that sort of elbow nudging conversation or, you know. Yeah, no, and yeah, I think formal is right. Like, it's funny, I'm thinking like, oh, this is my opinion, but I think like play development and classes and things are sort of nice on Zoom because there's not as much cross-talking and the time management is easier. But when you go into wanting to invest in the creative process, I'm like, oh, I'm missing just the the essence of what is exchanged and that's in the air. It is in the breath, yeah. right? It's literally like the reason we can't be in the space together is because in in acting, in theater, it's all about sharing breath, receiving breath. That's intimacy. And uh, that is and that is germs. <laughs> that, that is theater, that is intimacy, that is germs. My, my thought on all of this is as you're talking about, um, well, us being one, wanting to be in the room and things is I always like to ask, what do you, what do you think you carry into the room today? And that could be anything that you didn't when you were starting. Um, and I, you know, just as an artist or as a person and, I think comfortability in my own skin. I just, I think being comfortable in my own skin is what I carry into the room now. I think, I think human beings are such an insecure lot and actors specifically, you know, and I think my journey artistically has been about feeling comfortable and relaxed enough to live in my authentic voice, whatever that is. And I think that I did not feel comfortable. I don't think I even knew what that meant to me, you know, 20 years ago. And I think I really cared about being good and whatever good even meant 
<laughs> being thought of as good was really important. And I've, I think I've worked to try to shed some of that and really be like, I don't know if I'm good or not, but this is who I am. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. That's a, it's a great place to get to and hard in the beginning. I think hard to have that sense of ownership in the beginning of knowing that it's okay just to be who you are. Yeah. And it's tricky because we work with directors and it's like, be who you are and be open enough to change direction. And whereas now I, I'm sort of playing from a place of, oh, I want to play this game. And before I think there was a little more of, I want you to like what I do. Maybe. No, yeah. Play, well, playing with versus playing for is different, right? I want to I want to collaborate versus I want to make you happy. I want you to think I'm good, you know? Right. Yeah. And and it's interesting because you had said, you know, you just started you got you know, writing a lot and you're just starting and and, and I was curious about just because I said play with and collaborate it seems that you have worked on a lot of new work and it seems like you have devised work with people and sort of want to ask like, how's that process for you? But I'm really interested in how do you find that you bring your, as an, as a collaborator, as a divisor, as an actor, who's creating something with somebody, how do you feel confident in bringing your voice and, and what is that process for you? And do you like it? And I'm just asking a hundred questions because I don't know what question I want to ask about that. I'm just yeah. interested that you do it a lot. You know, at the heart of it, at the heart, heart, heart of it, I think it's like a, the pleasure principle for me, whatever that means. But it means I just want to have a good time that for some reason I am hardwired to seek fun and pleasure in my work. And so I love collaboration. And in my like darkest moments as an actor, when I'm like, I'm leaving, I hate this. I, I didn't get all these jobs in that movie and that show and that pilot and blah, blah, blah. But when I'm like, well, what do I love about it? Why do I do it? It is actually ensemble collaboration, working with a group of others. I really, you know, I'm just such an extrovert. It's so like, <laughs> it's like psychology, right? But I really do love that. And, you know, even going back to that piece that I'm producing, it's like a it's like a celebration of South Asian women. And it's like getting people together and doing something fun together, even though it's like Zoom and we're not even seeing each other. It's the spirit behind it. And so that's really what I bring to collaboration, what I get from collaboration, why I miss the theater so much right now, why even, you know, why no matter what, I always come back to the theater. Because I lived in LA for a bunch of years and I was just doing sort of film and TV for a while, but I kept coming back to New York. I kept doing plays. It is this connection with a group that I love. Did that answer your perfect. question? That was perfect. That was great. I would answer, it answered a question better than I asked it, that's for sure. <laughs> um, do you have any advice that you would give to an early career? It sounds like, we, I mean, we've already covered a lot, obviously, you know, comfort with yourself and the people you engage with and stuff. But I'm just, since I ask it, I always like to hear in case people thought about it. I'll think about it right now. I think do the work, 
because I think that sometimes the like, I just want to be authentically me can be an excuse for not doing the work. It's like, do the work, get the training, and also let your shiny soul come through. <laughs> can I, I want to ask a question about do the training, because you went to the, I'm going to get the name of the program wrong and I wrote it down, but the one in, in you went to England to study. Yeah, I did a semester abroad when I was in college at BADA, British American Drama Academy. Thank you. What, how did you, not that I wouldn't want to go to abroad, what inspired you to do it? What did you know that you, what did you, you know, like, did you do it because you wanted to go abroad or did you know like, oh, that's a training program I want? Yeah, I mean, I went to a liberal arts college where, you know, it's really about getting the whole what is theater and so the idea of a conservatory, even for a semester, and this was sort of a conservatory model, uh, was really exciting. Plus it was in London, where I already knew, because I had family in London, that theater sort of was awesome there and that I and didn't, was treated differently. That actors, you know, could make a living and live there working in the stage, you know, which was remarkable information for me. So I was very curious and I wanted the conservatory thing and it was awesome. I loved it. Um, you know, I think I would have done a whole year if I could. And they really gave you, you know, I mean, now in retrospect, I'm also like, it was also very like patriarchy, <laughs> the patriarchy theater dominated. <laughs> But it, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, like the training program was like a ton of like Shakespeare and Shaw, you know, Ibsen, was there Ibsen? Yeah. And restoration comedy. I think that was what I studied there. But the theater that I saw in London was all of this like brown and black theater. Cause I think I was seeing whatever I wanted to see. Right. So I saw all of these South Asian people on stage and I hadn't seen that in America and I think that probably gave me a sense of like, okay, people are doing this. Just because I don't see it in New York City doesn't mean it's not happening. <laughs> right. I mean, I remember I would go to those bookstores like at the National Theater and buy up all of like plays by brown and black people, you know. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's funny. And I love, I went, interesting, I went to London for two weeks, I think it is, in my when I was an undergrad on a theater thing, there wasn't a whole semester and that was it. It was seeing, being exposed to theater that was unlike anything we were seeing that I was seeing here. And it was also dramatically more affordable. Wow. <laughs> so when you said you were seeing what you wanted to see, I thought, right, I went and saw things that changed my whole perspective of what theater can be. Um, I will say idea, more about ideas for me because it was, you know, not lacking in representation, um, but that's amazing. I am glad, I'm glad I did that for you. And I and just, uh, I was curious to, part of me looked at that program and went, oh, it looks exciting. And it seems like the perfect addition to the undergraduate degree, to the, you know, to sort of inject the conservatory training in the main line at, yeah. And then, and then after Williams, I just took a lot of classes in New York. And even now I'm part of the actor center, uh, 
theater company, which it's, um, I think I just said it wrong. The Actor Center Workshop Company, which is all masterclasses. It's all working actors taking masterclasses with amazing teachers from all over the world. So I'm still training. You know, I just did like a three-day workshop on film script analysis with with 58 other working actors all in New York City. You know, so so I'm still learning and I'm still getting better and I'm still working on it. And to me, that is exactly right. Like we're never really done. just a treat. I'm uh, so glad to get to talk to Porva. It was so great. I loved what she said at the end, just that subtle little thing of like, you know, we're always learning. And, you know, it's true. I talked about it, you know, in the conversation with Florencia, we talked about just even learning in COVID, you know, learning on how to use all the new technology and everything. But, and we are always learning. And I just love that she continues. She's an incredible actor. And just to hear that she shows up for you know, workshops to get better and for people who are sharing their skills and constantly growing. And also, I just love also the idea that she loves to work because I think that we share and, you know, just wanting to do it and wanting to be in community and collaborate. And that part of the conversation about sharing the breath with each other. Um, I am looking forward to that. I also love that she, one of her first jobs was at Gallery Players. And, you know, I talked about that, but that is, you know, and then she worked at Target March in numerous times. And I work, you know, at Gallery, which is a showcase theater in Brooklyn, Park Slope. And so generous, I got to do my first play there. And then a year later, the second, you know, they invited me back for a second play. And I ended up doing four plays over many years. And just such an important place to find that initial home, that place that respects you and, and builds community around you, you know, helps you build community and it's really important. It was so nice to hear that that was an important place for her too. And I loved it. And I love that she's, you know, now on the board and gives you, you, you know, you invest back into the people who invest in you. And I think it's, it's great. It's a great conversation and I'm really grateful and, you know, grateful to get to work with her and get to know her. And, uh, and thank you all for listening. I hope everybody's, uh, you know, I hope you're. I hope you're finding a way to stay creative, engaged. That you know, as Porva talked about, it's obviously there's challenges constantly. And the thing I was talking about at the beginning of the pod of like feeling stir crazy, and the thing that grounds me is the work. And so I'm, I'm really glad to be able to do it. I'm glad to have conversations with her. I'm glad to, you know, just the opportunity of doing the benefit with Adina on the 11th. Grateful to talk to the other artists who are doing, who are part of that. Um, I hope you'll check it out February 11th. I'll make sure to put it on the website and check out the center college production of our college collab play greek tragedy february 17th through the rest of that week um it's really what they're doing is really special i'm excited about that and with that i just i hope everybody is healthy and you know i know there's you know we're all waiting on the vaccine i know a couple of my friends have tested positive recently not major symptoms but it seems to be you know contagious so keep doing what you need to do to stay safe and again let us know what you're doing if you're doing anything we need to see and, you know, I'm happy to tell people about it, happy to promote it. I'm happy to see it myself. I love that people are continuing to create and staying engaged. I think that's really, really important for not only your creative self, but just emotionally and psychologically to keep keep doing what you need to do. 
And if you're taking a break and taking it easy, thank you for listening and uh, glad you're doing whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. With that, um, I hope you, you know, if you, if you like the conversation, share it with people. As I like to say every now and then, go on to the uh, Apple podcast site, give it the five-star review. I'm very happy to have heard from the people that have done that. It does it makes a huge difference for people to find the conversation. And as always, this is a conversation with not only the guests, but also with you. So I love when we hear from you and think that you want to hear about or talk about. So, you know, let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you'd like to hear and um, stay well. And with that, we're out. <laughs>